Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. There is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whoso therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything, but love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, or thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly, as in the day, not in riding and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh, to fill the lusts thereof. The title of this message this morning simply, The Christian as a Citizen. Christian as a Citizen. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. I pray that as we look into the word of God today, that you would encourage us and strengthen us and help us to understand the purpose and the ordination of authority uh, given to us by our Heavenly Father, uh, creator and sustainer of the universe, one who made all things for himself. And I pray that you would just speak to our hearts and help us, Father, to uh, be obedient um, to your word by obeying the authorities that you have placed in our lives. For our good and for thy glory, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> You know, we live in a day, and I have never seen anything like it in my 57 years, 58 years, 57 I guess it is. I don't even know how old I am. But anyway, um, I remember when I was born, though. No, I don't remember that. But anyway, uh, (laughs) I've never seen a day like ours where there's a disregard a disrespect, a disdain for authority like today. 
Uh, and we're not talking about children. We're talking about adults. People in places and positions of influence. I mean, look at how they, you know, how the president is treated. Uh, and the disrespect that's, that's given him. And the disrespect or the disdain that's given to our police. So this morning... You know, the Bible addresses every issue of life, and this passage of Scripture addresses this very issue. As we consider, as, as Christians, as citizens uh, of, this, of this nation and of this world. You know, of course, we are pilgrims here. Uh, this is not our home. We are pilgrims passing through, but we are, we are still citizens of this country, and we are to be in submission to the authorities that God has placed over us. I want to notice, first of all, the constitution of authority. In verses 1 through 4, we see, I want to notice four things from these four, thir- four verses considering authority. First of all, authority is ordained or decreed or put in place by God. Authority is ordained of God. Now, the word authority, or, you know, and he says, uh, he's talking about the higher powers. The word higher means superior in rank or authority. The word powers refers to a ruler, a human magistrate. We're talking about people, human beings in places of authority. Like a magistrate. He's talking about government in particular. And it says they are of God. And it's interesting that the phrase of God is used five times in the first seven verses. You see, this authority is of God. In other words, he is the efficient cause of this authority. He is the force from which this authority proceeds. And it's under his influence or direction that we have this, these authorities. They are ordained of God. So, so we could say that the origin of authority or its source or its cause is God. God has ordained it. He's appointed it. He's given orders for it. God gave the command for human government. In Genesis chapter 9, we see God instituting human government. Genesis chapter 9, as soon as Noah comes off the ark, you know, Without human government prior to the ark or the flood, the world was chaotic. Every man did that which is only evil continually. And, you know, every imagination of the man's heart was evil continually, the Bible says. That was a description that God gave concerning that period of time. In Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of a man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. So here we see God has established the order of authority and given, uh, 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 or God has established the order of authority, and here he has given us 
what we call human government. And that's what Paul is referring to here in, he, in uh, Romans chapter 13. Uh, if you notice in verse, uh, verse uh, uh, 4, For he is the minister of God to thee for good, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So God has established human government. He's established all order of authority. Now, authority is hierarchical. God is the ultimate authority. So, as we think about authority, you know, think about biblical authority. You have God. In fact, go to go to First um, Corinthians chapter eleven. First Corinthians chapter eleven. Paul spells this out for us. In verse 3, But have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So you have God, Christ, who is equal to God, but he made himself lower. So you have God, Christ, you have man, and, and with man, and, and you might have, you might say it this way, you have God, Christ, government. Whether it be human government, or church government. Government. Period. And man is to be submissive to government, which God has ordained. So then you have you have government, and then you have man, and then you have woman. Now we're not talking about uh, in intellectual understanding or wisdom here. We're talking about order of authority. And when we rebel against that authority God has placed over it, we're ultimately rebelling against the ultimate authority. So when you thumb your nose at the police, you're thumbing your nose at someone God has put over you. You know, I... I can get irritated real quick with the rights of criminals, quote, rights of criminals. When you disobey the law, you've lost your rights. Other than a trial by jury. And it is a conflict of interest for criminals to be voting. It's a conflict of interest for welfare people to be voting too. Anyway, let me get on another subject. But so God has adorned this, you know, and he... And he's he's he is ordained government, political and religious. Now the scriptures do not give minute regulations to regulate all our direct all our actions to government. It gives general principles. The government has no right to tell you what time you need to get up in the morning, when you eat breakfast if you do. Um, how you train your children, that responsibility is not given to the government. It's given to you as parents, particularly as to fathers. To fathers. See, that's, that's not the government's responsibility, and they ought not to try and pass laws to regulate. They have no business passing laws to regulate whether I can discipline my children or not. Now, 
they do have a right to pass laws to protect my children from my abusing them or taking their life, you know, or, you know, something like that. But, but they, you know, so, the, so, the, so there are things, you know, every, every ordained government of God has its limitations. Uh, you know, scripturally, you know, the governments have limits to their rule to protect personal liberties of us all. You know, all, all human authorities have religious uh, limits, whether it's church or government. Uh, and, and, and so, uh, you know, the church has no authority to tell you what day of the week you ought to mow your lawn. Uh, or if it needs mode. My brother Owen was telling me that one church he 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 looked at to one time they 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 had people that drive past your house see whether you mowed your lawn or not. That is none of their business. And whether you could dare drive a Ford, you know. Uh, <laughs> No, see, government's authority is to protect our life, one's persons and property. And, of course, church authority uh, has to do with our conduct as a child of God. But, and so, so, but we see here all this authority is ordained of God. It's ordained of God. Secondly, Authority is to be submitted to. Notice verses 1 and 2 again. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. The word powers means, or the word subject means, to obey, to submit to, or, or submission. And of course, this is, this is I've often said, first and foremost, an attitude. You know, you can appear to submit on the outside and really not be. The Bible bears that out. Particularly when you're talking about children, in Ephesians chapter two, it gives it illustrates that. But you know, it can be just as easily done by adults as it's done by children. Uh, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. So it is first of all an attitude, foremost an attitude, and but in the home is the foundation for authority. You know, our culture has torn the family to shreds. The authority of the home has been made a joke. Men have been shredded of their moral authority. You know, with the feminist movement, equality movement, women leaving the home for the workplace, man has become simply a guy needed to have babies. That sounds crude, but that's the way a lot of women see men. He's not there to train and chasten and educate and teach children. He's just the one to provide some money. No, children are to obey their parents. Fathers are to train their children up in the way of the Lord. And, and of course, when we reject the authority of the home, we, rejecting our all, we will reject all authority. Because that's where it's learned, in the home. 
Thirdly, authority resisted brings condemnation. If you notice in verse 2, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. You know, the word resisteth or resist is mentioned three times in that verse, and it means to rage in battle against, to oppose, notice this, to oppose oneself. So when you resist an authority, you are actually opposing yourself. And you're bringing the, a, a damnation, or it means a condemnatory sentence, a penal judgment upon oneself. You're resisting the ordinance of God. Well, that's a serious issue. It's a serious offense against God. You know, this is this is the this is really the character of those in Romans chapter one. This is what we're seeing in our society today, because that when they knew they uh, when they knew. That when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto uncorruptible man, and the birds and the four-footed beasts and crimped things. And of course, you know the rest of the story, the vileness that is entered into as the result of rejecting God and God's authority. You know, homosexuality is simply a rejection of God's authority and God's order. And so this, re- this resisting of God's authority, of authority, brings the judgment and condemnation of Almighty God. And fourthly, as we think about this constitutional authority, God-ordained authority is God's executioner. It's God's executioner. Notice verses 3 and 4. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the saint. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is a minister of God a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Notice, he is a minister of thee for good. He is a ruler, is a not a terror to good works, but he's a terror to evil. See, authorities are a terror to evil. The word terror means that which strikes fear. Reverence. Let me illustrate. I almost got in trouble in school one day. And the teacher, Mr. Muir, I'll never forget it, said to me, Would you want me to tell your dad? That struck terror in me. No, no. Now, if two hours earlier, if he'd have said something to the effect that, well, you know, 
I'd like sometime maybe I'd talk to Dad. I wouldn't worry about it because I had nothing to fear then. But because of what I had done, it struck terror in me because I knew Dad. You see, when I was without sin before Dad, I was not afraid. But fear of punishment is a deterrent to crime. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of people today, or have said in the last 30, 40 years, that punishment is not a deterrent to crime. You know, this is the thing. It's while we were in Maine, and there was a, there was a, a man in New York subway that shot four teenagers. I think they might, I'm not sure if they were, you know, they were called youth, you know, how, exactly how old they were anyway. And, you know, of course, they tried to get him in murder charges, and he was acquitted. He was cleared of it because they were trying to, they were going to mug him. Do you know what crime did in New York for a little while? This article is November 18, 2007, by Adam Liptak. It says, does death penalty save lives? A new debate. For the first time in a generation, the question of whether the death penalty deters murders has captured the attention of scholars in law and economics, setting off an intense new debate about the, one of the central justifications for capital punishment. According to roughly a dozen recent studies, executions save lives. For each inmate put to death, the studies say... Three to 18 murders are prevented. The effect is most pronounced, according to some studies, in Texas and other states that execute condemned inmates relatively often and relatively quickly. You know, the Bible says that's true. When sentence against an evil is not executed speedily, the hearts of men are fully set in them to do evil. And we put these guys on death row for years and then decide oh, maybe they shouldn't be living. It ruins the effect. It ruins the effect. In fact, one lady said, uh, quote, I am... Personally, am opposed to death penalty, unquote, said H. Nacy Moken, I guess her name is, an economist at Louisiana State University and an author of a study finding that each execution saves five lives. Quote, but my research shows that there is a deterrent effect, unquote. Duh, I could have told her that. You know, if you think you're going to die for something you're going to do, you're not likely going to do it. Everybody fears death. But, and, and the Bible is, what is, when he says he beareth not the sword in vain, he's talking about the death penalty. The death penalty. He beareth the sword. It is used of him to whom the sword has been committed to use when a male factor is to be punished. 
Hence, equivalent to having the power of life and death. He is a revenger to execute wrath, to execute punishment. And so this is clear then that when he says he beareth not the sword in vain, it's talking about capital punishment which was ordained of God for the punishment of evildoers and deterrent of criminal activity. You know, the Lord introduced capital punishment. Of course, we saw that in number or in Genesis chapter 9. Uh, this one article I said, said, quote this, quote, the life of man is to be protected, whether from animals or other men. Life is direct from God, was divinely imparted, and divinely maintained. The importance of the life of man made in God's image emphasizes the importance of protecting that life. Some would argue that capital punishment for a murderer cheapens human dignity. In reality, it accentuates human dignity. When one person murders another, he is murdering one made in God's image. Some would argue this is a form of deicide along with homicide. Life is so valuable that if you dare to break the command of God regarding the sanctity of life, your own life would be required. This is the essence of essence of Genesis 9-6. Now this is taught, of course, in uh, many other places. Look at Numbers chapter 36. Numbers chapter 36. <clears throat> Numbers 36, verse 30. I'm sorry, Numbers 35, verse 30. Who, whoso killeth any person... The murderer shall be put to death by the mouth of witnesses, but one witness shall not testify against any person to cause him to be put to death. Moreover, you shall take no satisfaction for the life of the murderer, which is guilty of death, but he shall be surely put to death. And you shall take no satisfaction for him that has fled to the city of refuge, that he should come again to dwell in the land until the death of the priest." So shall ye not pollute the land wherein you are. For blood it defileth the land, and the land cannot be cleansed of the blood that is shed therein, but by the blood of him that shed it. Defile not therefore the land which ye shall inhabit, wherein I dwell, for I the Lord dwell among the children of Israel. Now, and this, of course, would even include the protection of the unborn. Look at Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21. Exodus 21, 22, and 23. If a man strive and hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished. According as the woman's husband will lay upon him, he shall pay as the judges determined. And if any mischief follow, thou shalt give life for life. Life for life. And the Bible says that the land is polluted by bloodshed. And it was referring to bloodshed. It's talking about murder. And it can only be cleansed of that bloodshed by the putting to death of the murderers. You know, our land, our world is polluted with blood. What, million and a half abortions a year just in America alone? 
And we aren't the only ones doing it. I just read yesterday, or Friday maybe it was, there are hardly any Down syndrome children in Iceland anymore. They've all been aborted. There's being fewer here, too, because they're being aborted. You know, I've heard, I've heard of, you know, from relatives that, you know, they do an ultrasound. They're constantly doing ultrasounds and all this stuff, you know, and anyway. You know, well, they think there might be something wrong with the baby. And it turns out there's nothing wrong with it. You know, in Acts chapter 25, Paul also taught this, Acts 25, verses 10 and 11, that there are some crimes, this is what Paul is inferring here, that are some crimes worthy of death. Now, this is the New Testament, Acts 25, verse 10. Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. For if I be an offender, and or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of those things whereof these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them, I feel unto Caesar. So if I am worthy to death, I'm not refusing to die or to pay for my crime. That's what he's saying. But what he said is, I'm not worthy of that. Because I haven't done anything worthy of that. And of course, he's admitting to, or agreeing with the fact, that the government has the right to take his life if he is worthy of death. He's also admitting, or stating, that the guilty has no right to protest it if they are worthy to die. So Paul is agreeing with what he says in Romans 13, or stating that, prior to Romans 13, right who he wrote it, that government is ordained to deter and punish crime. It is the terror and the executor. It has a right to take the life of the guilty that are worthy of death, the murderer. So that's the constitution of authority. Secondly, I see I'm not getting it finished here this morning. Uh, we'd be here till half the afternoon. Conscientious obedience. We see here also, con- we are as citizens to give conscientious obedience to authority. Notice verses 5 through 7. Wherefore you must needs be subject not only to wrath, for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending and continuing upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So we are to give conscientious obedience to authorities. The word, of course, conscience is described or defined as the soul as distinguishing between what is morally good or bad. 
prompting to do the former and shun the latter. It's one, one commentator described it as a skylight. A skylight. It gives us light as to what is right and wrong. And every man, every boy, every, every child is born with a conscience. And no man's conscience, no baby's conscience tells them that it is right to murder. The conscience tells you it's wrong. But see, conscience can be corrupted. Conscience can be changed by what you are taught. I had a missionary friend in Mexico. He said his dad always says there's no such thing as an atheist. At least he wasn't born that way. Every man's conscience tells him there is a God. By the way, an atheist, who is just really one, who has rejected God's authority and made himself the authority. He's his own God. That's what an atheist is. So our conscience then, we are to give conscience obedience. Um, in John 8 9, you're talking about the conscience, to try and illustrate what the conscience does or is. It's in John 8 9, remember they bought the, the uh, adulterous woman and set her in the midst, and it says, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience. See, Jesus said, Ye without sin cast a stone at her. So they began to think about that. Well, and their conscience told them, I'm not without sin. Conscience. And when you and I disobey or disrespect authority, you'd give an occasion to others to disregard authority or you alter or affect the conscience of another. For example, 1 Corinthians 8, 7 says this, Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. He's talking about eating things, sacrificed idols. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So you're altering their conscience by your actions. So our conscience can be altered by what we are taught or by our belief system. Now, 1 Timothy 4.2 says, Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Uh, Titus 1.15 says, Under the pure all things are pure, but under them that are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. You see, you know, uh, 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 Islamic extremists have their conscience defiled. Murderers have their conscience defiled. Abortionists have their conscience defiled. Their conscience is defiled. Because they have not obeyed it. Or obeyed the authority. God has placed in their life. You know, even for conscience sake, we are to pay our taxes. 
I don't like paying taxes. You know, we heard, heard in Sunday school, you know, the question was asked, how long do you work for the government every year? Five months just to pay your taxes? Now, some of you may not think about that because it's taken out of your paycheck every week. Mine isn't. So I know how much they take. But you know, we're paying them. We're supposed to pay them. I'm supposed to pay them with a smile on my face. I'm trying. <laughs> if you notice, he says, Wherefore, you must be subjects not only for wrath, no, no, because you fear them or the terror, but also for conscience sake. For this cause pay ye tribute. And the word tribute speeds, especially the annual tax levied upon houses, lands, and persons. Now, I don't think about my property tax because it's escrowed into my mortgage payment and I don't see it come out. But I know how much it is. But it doesn't hurt as bad because it's taken out every month. But there's other things, income taxes, you know. But, you know, we're supposed to pay them. We're pay tribute. For they are, think about this, they are God's ministers. In Matthew 17, Jesus, Jesus paid his taxes. Matthew 17, <clears throat> you know, uh, the Pharisees or the scribes, or one of them came to him one time and said, Master, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus said, show me a tribute penny. And then he said, whose inscription is on that penny? And they said, Caesar's. He said, then render therefore to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. What was he saying? Pay your taxes to your government because they are God's ordained authority over you to protect you. You, know, you might say, well, government doesn't always protect me. Well, that's what it's ordained for. Governments, you know, don't always do what they're supposed to do. Men don't always do what they're supposed to do. Wives don't always do what they're supposed to do. But that doesn't change the fact it's a principle that is, is, is something that is ordained of God. Matthew 17, verse 24 says, And when they were come to Capernaum, and they that received tribute, or taxes, money, came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? You know, doesn't Jesus pay taxes? He saith, Yes. And when he was come into the house, Jesus prevented him. You know, we see an instance of deity. Jesus knew what would happen. Then him saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? For whom do the kings of the earth take custom of tribute? Of their own children or strangers? Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. So if we're citizens, then, we're, you know, if we're, uh, Romans says, then we're free. But he said, Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, and cast an hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. That take and give unto them for me and thee. So Peter, you get out of the, the wharf and you cast in line and the first fish you catch will have enough money to pay your taxes and mine. Pay them. Give it to them. We're to render. The word render means pay off. 
or discharge what is due or that which is owed. We do owe our government our t- some taxes. You know, we can argue all day whether they need what they get. That's another whole subject. But it is something that is due for us to pay. They are to provide for us, you know, safe protection of life, liberty, and property. That's the purpose of government. You know, our government's getting its hands in a lot of other stuff. That's another whole subject. But we are to pay taxes. We, you know, this is, this is, this is a little bit of a side note here, too, but, you know, that's how we pay our police to protect us. And I don't think they get paid very well. Talking to a friend of mine here a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about that, and he said, he said a lot of his family has been either druggies or police officers. And he said it's the same kind of personality. Be either police officer or drug, drug, people, drug guys. And as somebody approached him and wanted him to be a police officer. He said, he said well, start out at $30,000 a year. He said, I'm making more than that already. Why would I want to be a police officer? Yeah, I've heard different states of what police officers make. I didn't think it was all that great a job, financially. And they put they risk their lives, some of them, many times. So we it, it is what is due. Custom means tax on goods. So you know again, he's covering everything: houses, lands, persons, goods. Um. And and where and he said, and if you notice on further on, he he talks about this obedience. He says, "Render therefore to all their dues." Verse seven: Tribute to him, tribute. Is due. Custom to whom custom, custom first tax on goods, fear to whom fear, that's again the word terror or reverence, honor to do harm. In other words, respect for the office, uh, the person, or how we treat the officials, we ought to treat officers with respect for the office that they hold. Your father is to be retrieved with respect for the position that he holds. Or anyone in authority is to be reverenced for the position that they hold. And just because they do not fulfill their role in that position as maybe they ought, doesn't excuse us or disrespecting their person and, and the office they hold. You know, I thought about this during Sunday school. Appreciate the Sunday school lesson this morning. I thought about this during Sunday school. Peter and John, they disobeyed the authorities. But they were not challenging the authorities. Authority. They were simply obeying the greater authority. They were not being disrespectful to the Sanhedrin. I do not believe, you know, sometimes I've I've heard Daniel chapter 3 in, in the fiery furnace and I've heard 
you know, Shadrach, Meshach, responding to Nebuchadnezzar, almost like they were kind of, you know, in his face. I don't believe they did that. I think they addressed him as sir or honorable king. They showed him respect, yet they did tell him, we can't do what you asked. We can't do what you asked. We're not disrespecting you, but we can't do what you asked because there is a higher authority that you have contradicted. You see, we need to be subject to the powers because the powers are ordained of God. Whether it's government, parents, police, whatever authority it is, employer, Servants, be subject to your masters. You know, unless they violate some command of God, uh, 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 of God clearly, then you have no right to disobey them. And, but even in that, you don't have any right to disrespect them. And respect goes a long way to earning favor, even if you disagree with someone. You see, as God's children, we are to be respectful. We are to be subject to authorities. We are to honor them because they are ordained of God. You know, are we submissive? Are we subject? Do we have an attitude of submission to the authorities that God has placed over us? 